0: Hi there. If you are in Pipelines of Grace, How the Gospel Grows in Our Everyday Lives, you are in the right place. If you are looking for another workshop, please feel free to go. Like We're not offended. Um, My name is Liz, and this is Megan. Yes. We're excited to be with you this morning. Before we begin, I'm just going to pray. So, Father, thank you. For your word, thank you that you are present with us, that you have not left us as orphans, and that um, I pray that your spirit would um, just enlighten us to what you have for us this morning, help Megan and I to have clarity, and help all of our hearts to be open to what you have for us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So when I was in elementary school, I remember dreading going to the dentist. Does anybody else like going to the dentist? Okay. Well, I didn't have the best dental care, to be honest, and I remember my dentist would always give me these long speeches. You know, if you did this, you wouldn't have as much plaque, and you wouldn't have gingivitis, da-da-da-da-da. i would be like, okay, dentist, I'm going to change, all right? And needless to say, I would walk away from the dentist unchanged. Nothing would change in my dental care. Fast forward to when I'm about 24 years old, and I hadn't been to the dentist in two years. And I show up to this new dentist and I say, um, or he tells me, he's like, you have three cavities. You need to come back right away and get these filled. So I do. Now remember, though, I am on my own for the first time and I don't have insurance. And so as I'm, and each of these cavities is going to cost me $200. So I get to the checkup, or to the receptionist at the end of my appointment after he has filled my teeth. And I'm about to pay, and I hear the dentist whisper to the receptionist, don't make her pay for her cavities. I'm like, what did I just hear? Am I like overhearing the right thing? Yes. <laughs> don't make her pay for any of these cavities. And what's amazing is my mouth drops open, first of all. I'm like, what? Is that I, don't, I clearly don't floss. I don't even go to the dentist every six months, and he's going to pay for my cavities. He gently says to me then, I know it's hard to floss and it's really not fun, but if you did, it might cut down on that decay. I'll see you in six months. And for the first time, I actually had the desire to floss my teeth, but it wasn't from guilt or shame. It was because this dentist had shown me grace. And this act of grace led to me changing my habits of dental care. Almost every night for the past 15 years, you can ask my husband, I have flossed my teeth. It's become a habit, which is something you do consistently or as part of the rhythms of your life. And so this morning, Megan and I are gonna talk about how to think about forming spiritual habits. Habits that will be like railroad tracks that help carry you in the rainy hard seasons or the bright sunny ones into a final destination of knowing more of Jesus. But before we dive into the practicals of this, we want to be rooted in grace. And so this is your first point on your outline on page 17, the gift of grace. And so, what is this grace? We just saw this illustration of the dentist paying for my my debt, and I clearly did not deserve it. Isn't that the same with God? We've been hearing it all weekend. We were ill-deserving. We did everything to avoid God. And yet he paid our debt of sin by taking our place of dying on a cross and absorbing God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. And what led him to do this? Well, listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works." So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So, what do we learn about God's grace? Three really quick things. I'm not gonna do a whole expository thing on this, but just three quick passerby things. We see that our works, again, we see it's not by our works or because we were better than others. But like the dentist's kindness, it's God's character. It's on God. Look at verse four, but God. But God, being rich in mercy and his great love, has shown us grace, you have been saved. So because God is doing the action, it is secured. Just like we heard Shannon talk about it last night. We have a secureness. We have a secure home in heaven. Like we have a secure home with him. It's secure. That is your first fill-in the gift that is secure. Secondly, we also see that this grace or undeserved favor is so good, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Who doesn't want a gift that keeps on giving? It's like Christmas every day. Um, Look at verse seven. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. Meaning, if we are in Jesus, he wants to give us blessings, a feast, goodness, not just for a temporary life right now for the next 60 or 70 years, but for eternity. It's without limit because that's what it takes in order to receive this grace. It takes an eternity. Lastly, his grace is a gift that enables us to walk. That's point C, a gift that enables us to walk. Check out verse 10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once we're saved, we're not left on our own and we say, peace out, God, I'm gonna figure out this life by myself. Kind of like we heard this morning about the Holy Spirit, that he's the one working on us and through us. And so, no, we don't have to figure out this life on our own because we don't belong to Satan, the prince of this air and work for him You sisters belong to Jesus, and Jesus is now the one working on your heart so that you do works that are after his own heart. He is the one working on your heart so that you do works after his own heart. And so, for some of you, maybe this is the first or second or third time you've heard this good news, or it's the thousandth time. It's for all of us. All of us need it for the rest, for the first time till eternity. This grace is like a tidal wave that keeps on coming and coming. We cannot stop it. But how do we get it? Look at the top of your outline. As in the book, Habits of Grace says, we must put ourselves in the pipelines of grace. We don't supply the flow, but we can turn on the faucet. And so this morning, we're gonna see that we do this through three primary principles. We turn it on by hearing God's voice, having God's ear, and being with God's people. And we'll see that grace drives these habits, but habits are what helps us know this grace. We'll see again that grace drives these habits, but habits
1: are what will help us know this grace. And Megan's gonna kick us off the first pipeline. Thanks, Liz. Yes, grace drives these habits, and it's gritty. It's a challenge. Um, I don't always want to do what I will be encouraging us here to do. Sometimes the doing comes first, and then our hearts and the feeling catch up. Kind of what Corey Ten Boone said. But there are such great gains to be made, and we'll be talking about those too. So first, let's talk about the pipeline of hearing God's voice through meditating on his word. Because God has shown us grace, we can hear his voice. This is point A on your outline. And the primary way we're given in scripture to hear his voice is through meditating on his word. So the first fill-in under point 2A is, we meditate because a flourishing life is planted by God's word. When I recently came across this word meditate in the book Habits of Grace that Liz mentioned, I paused. I thought, meditation, (laughs) that sounds pretty weird. I better be careful as I read this. And then the author referenced scripture and meditation is author scripture. And it's in Joshua 1, six through nine that he quoted Um, God is talking to Joshua, the leader of Israel at the time, and God says, be strong and courageous. And how is Joshua supposed to do this? Well, God says the book of the law shall not depart from his mouth, but he shall meditate on it day and night. And the book of the law that God wants Joshua to meditate on is just the first books of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. That's what God had given his people at that time so that they could know him. Because hearing someone speak is how you get to know them. Right when we, What we say expresses our hearts. So if we wanna know God, we need to seek out his voice. It's just like when you're interested in a boy and your heart's captivated by him, you listen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't listen because you have to, you listen because you really want to, right? You want Amen. to listen to him. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna look at a man who listened to God's voice by delighting in and meditating on his words day and night, just like God commanded Joshua to do. And since one of the practicals we'll get into here as a part of planning yourself beside God's word is scripture memory. I'm just going to demonstrate it for you as an example, but if you'd like to read it, it's on your outline. Psalm 1 uh, is the first scripture passage that I'll be looking at with you. Uh, It's the flourishing life that is planted Mm -hmm. by God's word. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields, uh, streams of water, yeah, which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked Mm. will perish. Okay, so let's consider together. Maddie, you can get ready with the mic. Uh, I'm gonna have a runner for you. If you wanna answer a question, please just raise your hand. Uh, I'd love to consider together, what do we notice about this man? Just help me find some observations from Psalm 1. Go for it. What do you notice about him?
0: Bella. Um, I see that in the first two, um, two verses, it kind of contrasts. So mm-hmm. you kind of see that um, the, the man is blessed when he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Mm-hmm. So when he does not get advice or does not hang out with um, wicked people who do not follow
1: God, um, and it says, nor stands in the way of sinners. Mm-hmm. And then I, it, the contrast is also seen, but instead of doing these things, rather he, his delight is in the law of the Lord. So he delights in, um, in reading the word and mm-hmm. I think like meditating on that word. Mm-hmm. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Anybody else, what do you observe about this man? What do you notice about him? So there's this contrast at the beginning. There's a progression standing or walking, standing, sitting. He's firm like a tree. Yeah. Mm. The analogy, you think he's the tree? Great. What else do you guys notice? August, right here. Um, He prospers. Yeah. Yeah, he prospers in everything he does, he's flourishing. Mm -hmm. The psalmist makes it clear, in contrast to the wicked characters at the beginning, this man's delight is in the law. Mm -hmm. What drives his disciplined and flourishing life is his delight. Instead of having company with those who would pull him from God and towards evil, he delights in God's law. He constantly meditates on it. He's planted, he's watered, he's bearing fruit, he's lively. And where does he get this life? Well, it's not in himself, right? It's from the water. So the man is the tree, and the water is God's word. The living water waters this tree so that he flourishes, but he is planted beside the water. Delighting in and constantly meditating on God's law is like planting himself beside water. And for some context, this man is an Israelite. He's delighting in God's word spoken in the law that I mentioned, the first few books of the Bible. And he meditates on it day and night. These are books like Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The truth is, some of us avoid reading these books. He's thinking about them day and night. And the truth is we have something greater than the law to meditate on. I'm not saying God had a better idea in the New Testament to fix a bad idea he had in the Old Testament, but I am saying that the new covenant of grace that God has spoken to us, that Liz started with, is the greater story of all scripture, and even the law points to it. Jesus is God's word made flesh. Because of his great gift of grace, even sinners will stand in the congregation of the righteous. Mm. So, how can we apply this? How can we plant ourselves beside streams of water? How can we turn on this pipeline and let the water flow by our tree? That's the second fill in under point 2A. We plant ourselves by God's word when we hear, read, study, and memorize. Memorize. All of these disciplines are to the end of meditating on God's word, they're like mini pipelines. We're just turning on the faucet, and we're going to go from easy to gritty. First Mm -hmm. is here it's not hard to hear God's word. This is like the fast food option. Turn on the Bible app, YouTube search the Gospel of John, find a nice British voice. (laughs) (laughs) Go to a Bible preaching church and sit under the preaching of God's word. Ladies, position yourself to hear his word. Plant yourself by the stream. Two, read. Consider this. On average, it takes about 70 hours to read the Bible. Have you ever checked the screen time reports on your phone? Mm -hmm. I would have thought, It'd be crazy to read the Bible in the month, but I'm sure I rack up well over 70 hours a month on my phone. Three, study the word. What are some ways that you have studied God's word? Just think about it. Maybe you're involved in a small group on campus or at your church. Maybe you're meeting up to study the Bible one-on-one with somebody who's discipling you or that you're discipling. But here's some other ideas. Maybe you and a friend are going through conflict and you could study Matthew 7. Mm. Maybe you're in a season of lament and you could find an older, wiser woman at a church to study lamentations with you. Study the words and experiences and faiths of people in the Bible and be delighted in the full story of grace that started all the way back in Genesis 1 and will not culminate until the last pages of the book. Four, memorize. This is one spiritual habit that is near and dear to my heart. I started memorizing books of the Bible a few years ago with my sister who had become a solid Christian around then. And God has made his hand of grace so evident through our time memorizing his word. I'm just going to share one story, but there are many. We finished the book of Ephesians the day of her birthday last year. And that same day, she found out that her husband had been with another woman for months. She couldn't sleep that night. She was waiting anxiously to talk to him all night long, but we had just finished Ephesians. So instead of dwelling on her thoughts, she rehearsed and she recited and she reviewed Ephesians over and over. Ephesians ends with the armor of God that clothes us to stand against the schemes of the devil. My sister planted herself beside the water and God clothed her. She woke up that morning. Actually, I don't think she slept. She got up that morning (laughs) ready to forgive her husband. She was ready to work towards restoration. She was also ready to go through divorce with a peace that only God could give if that's what he wanted. That's just one story of how God has used scripture memory to clothe his people I'm all for memorizing books of the Bible. It's a tremendous blessing, but it's also helpful to have verses that capture the gospel succinctly, that communicate really well and succinctly that that Jesus saves sinners. For example, Mark 10, 45, the son of man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I have a friend who's two-year-old can say that. It's really helpful to have those on your mind. I'm gonna talk about the gains. Mm -hmm. When God's word is in your head and in your heart, it will come to you when you're tempted to sin or to condemn yourself for sin, that you just committed when you're discouraged, when it seems like all you can think about is that hard conversation you have coming up, like my sister, God's own words will start to pervade your thoughts. Like Megan said, the Holy Spirit will bring those things to mind to help you. Because Jesus, the word, became flesh. This is Jesus himself. What you're putting in your mind and your hearts by meditating on the Bible is him. Mm -hmm. It's a relationship with the God of grace. So we just heard from Megan,
0: that not only do we have God's word and we get to listen, as Megan said, but God actually invites us to talk. We get God's ear. We get to pray. What's amazing about God's ear is he's not like a human relationship. I don't know about you, but sometimes you're trying to talk to your friend or maybe you are this friend, me sometimes, you know, and they're not paying attention to you because they're on their phone, right? (laughs) It's frustrating. Ah, just listen to me. Well, at least my kids say that to me sometimes, if I admit, I'm honest. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? God is not like me. God is never distracted. God is never distracted. His heart and posture are waiting to hear our voices. Listen to this, he is more ready and eager to hear than we are to pray. He is more ready and eager to hear than we are to pray. And how do I know that this is true? Because in the gospels, when Jesus cried out in his darkest moment, he was totally ignored by the Father so that you and I would always have total access to talk to our Father. So no wonder the scriptures repeat themselves about being constant in prayer. Romans twelve twelve, be constant in prayer. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Or 1 Thessalonians five seventeen, pray without ceasing. Our heart's orientation should be basically like talking to our Father all day long, right? It's a relationship, as we've been learning about this weekend. So I want to offer two little pipelines or gritty ways that we see modeled in the Scriptures um, in order to pray to God. The first one is closet prayer, and then we'll talk about corporate prayer and the rewards or gains. So where do we get this idea of closet prayer, right? I'm going to go in my closet and pray. Well, it's actually in Scripture, Matthew 6 says, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father, who is in secret, and your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. We also see Jesus modeling this in the scriptures as well. So what does this look like? At times, maybe this is spontaneous. You are so desperate, you run away and you just pray on your own, right? Other times, though, it's scheduled. And so what might this look like? I would encourage you, find a time, a place and be alone to pray, and put it in your schedule. Just like you have your classes in your schedule, put this in your schedule. I often do this at night because I have five little kids, so it's kind of chaotic through the day. And I'll do something physical or sit-ups or push-ups, not very well, but um, (laughs) I do them because I have a, a physical reminder. It helps me. Another idea is a journal. I have journals over the years, and what is so cool is on one page I will write... Um, my prayer requests for the day, or my friends will text me their prayers, and I will write them down, and then I have praises on the other side. So I can date when God has answered them. And it just builds my faith and relationship with Him, that He really does answer prayer. Another idea is if you don't know where to begin, <clears throat> shape your prayers like the scriptures. Check out Ephesians 1, verses 17 to 21, or Matthew 6, are just two quick ones. Ephesians 1, 17 to 21 or Matthew 6. Um, and so what are the gains if we do this? I've, I kind of mentioned a few, but <coughs> praying is actually kind of like riding a bike. How you ride, learn to ride a bike is you just do it. The same is kind of with praying. You kind of just got to do it. Sorry to quote Nike here, but here we go. Um, secondly, another gain is that as we pray, our relationship with God, our view of him actually changes. We find out we're not just servants, but we're God's friends, as it says in John 15. We're not only hearers of the word, but we are his beloved children who have their dad's heart. Another gain of prayer, of closet prayer, is peace, okay? So as it says in Philippians 4, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding and it will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And it comes through prayer. Don't we live in a culture where we're all super anxious or we hear like, I'm just so anxious about this test or this thing going on and it's really hard to navigate? Well, guess what? An antidote to that is prayer, and who d- doesn't want peace? And you can have it, as promised in scripture. Lastly, not only are we changed, but the world around us is changed. James 5:16 promises, "The prayers of the righteous are effective, and so if you pray, they're effective. God can't lie, right? Um, a story of this is, I had a health crisis, and one night... I was, I really couldn't pray, actually. My prayers were very, very, like, to the minimum. But I had gone out to our garage, and I needed apples for the kids that night. There were no apples. And I'm like, Lord, that's all I said. I walk back into my kitchen, and there is my friend standing with a bag of apples. (laughs) And I'm like, where did these come from? He's like, oh, my wife just told me to bring them over for you guys. I'm like, oh my gosh, Lord, like, you saw and you deliver right away. Like, it's a relationship. And so as we communicate, we see his active or invisible hand, right? Like, it brings us into the supernatural. How cool is that? Um, And so a second pipeline or way to pray, or grittiness, is to pray with company, with other people. As we read in the Gospels, we see Jesus bringing in his disciples. And we see this pattern continue in the book of Acts, the early church. So... What is gritty about this? Well, two ways that this can get gritty is you actually have to plan a time to get together with other people, right? And that's hard because you have a lot of other group projects or things going on. Um, or another thing you could do is you could join a prayer group at your church. Look up on your website or ask someone, hey, can I join this? And put it in your schedule. When you get together, um, my temptation is just to talk at these prayer talk meetings and not actually pray. So <laughs> I would encourage you to actually pray. And what you can do is gather requests, go through scripture, and um, pray for those things. And so I want to encourage you in the gains of corporate prayer. These encouraged my heart to actually, as I was studying this, I was like, oh my word, this is, this is so what God promises. But Piper, John Piper, who is a pastor, he actually has, I'm going to quote him here. He says, on getting together to pray with other believers. He quotes Matthew 18, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. On this text, we can't limit God's arm by the amount of people in a prayer meeting. There is something supernatural that happens when God's people gather for prayer, whether few or many. God wants to use corporate prayer to change us and the world. An example of this, in Acts 4, during the early church, believers are praying for boldness. They were chickens to share about Jesus because there's persecution. And guess what? God answered, he gave them boldness to go and share the gospel. And Piper would say, we are missing out on God's blessing when we don't do this. Not only do we see this in scripture, but we see it in church history. Another example is that college students like yourselves, in the 1800s here in America, they started a missionary society, and they just started praying that God would send missionaries from America. And guess what? God did. And God continues to answer that prayer. So God's continuing to answer that prayer for almost, what, 200 years? Um, And so talk about personal gain of God answering or corporate gain of God answering through corporate prayer. Three other quick gains. I could list like 100 here, no joke. But ones that I was encouraged by, one, God gets more glory when more people are in on it right? It's like when you open up a present and you're by yourself, Woo! but like when everyone sees it and you're at a bridal shower, it's awesome. There's more rejoicing. And so the same true, there's more rejoicing to God for answering prayer when more people are in on it. Two, God promises joy because when you, you get joy when working on behalf of others, when you are praying on behalf of others, God gives you joy. 2 Corinthians 1.24, that's where that promise is found. Another thing Um, again, is that we learn more about God um, by hearing others pray. And so it's edifying. I just had this happen to me the other night. I was at a prayer meeting, and this woman took me before the throne of God to my father and my needs, and I'm weeping by the end of it, just how she prayed for me. I was like, wow, thank you.
1: Um, And so it's very edifying. Thanks, Liz. Uh, The third... Way, we're going to talk about how God has shown us grace, and the third pipeline is um, belonging to his body. So that's the third point there, because God has shown us grace, we belong to his body. And the vision from this comes from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. The context of this passage we're going to look at could not fit better into this breakout or to this conference for that matter. The author has been talking about how the cross was the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ to give us grace. Sound familiar? And then the author says that knowing about Jesus' one-time sacrifice to offer forgiveness should lead us to draw near to God and to endure faithfully, to endure without wavering in our hope. It's just like this weekend, right? And then the third way... Sorry, Megan. No, you're good. The third way is that uh, this hope of this one-time sacrifice should lead us to... And this is the scripture we're going to look at. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the original language for this is consider each other for love and good works. I think that's really interesting. It says we need to know each other. To stir one another up and to encourage one another, you need to know the people you're stirring up and encouraging. And in order for them to stir you up and encourage you, they need to know you so that they can stir you up and encourage you. They need to know your, um, you need to be transparent with them so that they know how to speak into your particular context and experience in life. I think that's part of why he doesn't just say, stir one another up, but he says, let us consider how to stir one another up. And he goes on to qualify the stirring up with not neglecting to meet together, Mm -hmm. as is the habit of some. Is that your habit? Do you have a habit of neglecting to meet with the local church body? think on this first. This can be super gritty, so I'm going to slow down a bit, and we're going to think through some ways that, some obstacles that keep us from belonging to his body in a practical way. Maybe you grew up in the church, and it was a legalistic church, mm-hmm. or maybe you or someone you know was hurt by the hand of a pastor. Church hurt is real, because the truth is the church is a big group of sinners, Hopefully, it's a big group of sinners who recognize their need for grace, mm-hmm. but it's still messy. So if this has been your experience. I'm really sorry. Still, God encourage us, encourages us to not neglect it. Not or maybe you party on Saturday night or you just stay up too late. It's a temptation for me. Rather than preparing yourself for time with God's own people. Or maybe you know you're sinning and you feel ashamed to be in the church. Maybe you pull the introvert card. By Sunday, you're just tired of people. And our culture really celebrates individualism and success. You know, looking out for me, maybe you want to be number one in your class and you spend Sunday morning doing more homework. But the author of Hebrews exhorts us to not neglect to meet together, not because it's a good thing to check off the good Mm -hmm. Christian to-do list, but according to the context in Hebrews, because it's a pipeline of God's grace, Mm -hmm. Christ's forgiveness of sin and it encourages us as the day approaches. Did you see that? He says, not neglecting, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We're to encourage each other as we wait for Jesus' return. Remember Liz mentioned railroad tracks at the beginning? After you graduate, you won't have DCF. And even right now, DCF is not the local church, but especially when you graduate, all you will have is the local church. And this quote from Habits of Grace um, really convicted me. It said, the healthy Christian, introverted or not, of whatever whatever temperament in whatever season, seeks not to minimize relationships with his fellows in Christ, but to maximize them. Mm -hmm. Because like I said, it's not, can I check off this box? It's to the end of encouraging and being encouraged as we long for eternity together. So I'm telling you, I have found the grace that flows through this pipeline, and I Mm -hmm. wanna tell you about the gains. There are a few things that bring God's grace grace to bear on my week, like time spent with my church family. I am really gonna miss it tomorrow morning. I'm sad to not be there. This weekend, we're talking about how Jesus overcame the world and how he calls us to take heart. How meaningful it is to have an older woman in the church, a fellow sister in Christ, tell me in different ways, take heart, Megan. Jesus has overcome the world. I experienced this just recently at a membership meeting where we welcomed new members to our church and they were sharing their testimonies. I was in tears because I was so encouraged by the life-giving work of Jesus to save sinners and give Mm -hmm. them grace. Being part of a local church is an integral part of taking up that armor of God. If you grew up in the church, you may have sung songs about it. And the picture in Ephesians 6 of the armor of God is of a unified church, all taking up armor to stand together. Like their shields are side by side, one on top of the other, like Mm -hmm. dragon scales. Being part of his body is protective. And I want to note just one way that it's protective. It helps assure us that we are not deceiving ourselves when our faith is weak. This feels timely given the conference theme, take Mm -hmm. heart, and adore. Mm -hmm. We're not alone in having our souls satisfied in him. And church membership, being a member of a church, not just an attender, is where the real grit and the real gains come in. Mm -hmm. That's a fill-in. The real grit and the real gains come with church membership. It takes more effort and there's greater reward because the member is committing to that local church body and that local church body is committing to the member. It's a pipeline of grace because rather than just going when we feel like it or where we have the best time or where we like the music, that might be a pipeline of selfishness, When we go to serve his body, when it's about receiving and giving, encouraging each other, as the day draws near, we get to know Jesus better. It's a life or death brotherhood, Mm -hmm. enduring together with your hope set on a savior who says, take heart. So that's belonging to his body. We've talked about grace. We've talked about these three pipelines. Now we're going to wrap up just this portion talking about glory. Is this about the glory that God gives us or about the glory that other people give us? It is so good that we want glory. So I just want to start there. It's not wrong to want approval or to want reward, but we can only have real, good, satisfying approval because of God's grace. And he's the one who Mm -hmm. gives true rewards. Mm -hmm. So that fill-in is glory from God or glory from people, God or people. And you may be trying to get the glory from people and fall into one of two camps. So maybe you practice these spiritual disciplines in order to get approval from others. Or maybe you don't practice these spiritual disciplines in order to get approval from others. And I wanna super briefly address both those camps and in the end, I'll point us to the same truth. If you are not practicing these habits of grace because you are seeking people's approval rather than God's, I get it. If you're going to church, you might get picked on. You might not be number one in your class if you take time out of your studies to know the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Praying regularly, you might look weird. And reading your Bible, man, that really seems old fashioned. I thought that's for all the legalistic people out there. And you might be thinking, people are thinking this about me. But do you want the reward, the glory of what the world can give you, glory that is here today and gone tomorrow? Or do you seek the reward that God alone can give? I'll get into exactly what that is after I address the other camp. If you are practicing these habits of grace in order to gain people's approval, let me share with you a warning that Jesus gave his disciples at the beginning of his ministry. Hmm. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. And he goes on to say, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room. Closet prayer. prayer. Shut your door and pray to the Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This refrain, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, is repeated in this teaching, but we're only looking at a sliver. Um, And this refrain permeates his warning to not practice righteousness before other people, because then you've had your reward, right? Other people saw you that was it. But if you practice it before God, you will get a reward. Mm -hmm. So do we want the reward of those who may think better of us for checking off these religious boxes? Is that really what we want? Or the reward of a gracious God who sees everything we do, even our sin, and he's longing to shower blessing on his child who seeks his face. So Jesus doesn't rebuke us for wanting reward. Instead, he says to seek the reward that God can give. So for both camps— The truth that we need to chew on is this. Those who are in Christ have eternity to enjoy the reward God has for his people, Mm -hmm. namely being with him. That's what all these pipelines are about, being with him. That's the reward of these disciplines of hearing his voice, having his ear, and belonging to his body. We get just a small taste of what's to come for all time, that he will dwell with us. In 1924, Eric Little dropped out of the 100-meter dash for the Olympics because the qualifying competitions were always on Sundays. He gave up a gold medal in the Olympics. Let's talk about reward. Because his conviction was that taking the Sabbath was more important to him than the cheers he could receive from other people. And in 1925, the next year, he gave up a hugely successful career in running and went to China as a missionary and died in an internment camp eventually in World War II. The world looks at this and thinks, what a waste of talent, mm-hmm. of life. But he had those pipelines of grace flowing mm-hmm. and he could not wait to meet the God of grace. This man knew that a far greater award, reward awaited him. What about you? In John one fourteen, it says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us mm-hmm. and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace, And truth. So we've seen turning on these pipelines can be hard, can be gritty, yet there is a reward to come from a God who knows us. Mm -hmm. This is all about his glory because of his grace so that we might know him, not just because he commanded us to meditate on his word or to pray then like this or to be a part of his body, but because he is the God of grace and we want more of this God. Thank you, Megan. Mm -hmm.
0: So now we do not want to just be hearers of God's word. We want to be doers. And before we give you an opportunity, though, um, to kind of work on page 19, we have a worksheet for you um, because this is a workshop, so we want it to be practical. We, excuse me, what we're going to have you do is you're going to pick a principle or pipeline from God, God's voice, God's ear, God's people, and then you're going to pick a habit that you want to make very practical, that you want to implement when you leave here. And then answer the questions. We also have a resource page. I think it's in the back, right? Somewhere. It's somewhere in your packet. There is a resource page if you need ideas. They give you lots and lots of ideas. It's in there. But before we do that, I'm actually going to interview our dear Megan here through these questions and kind of model how to answer them. And then we'll let you on your own. And then at the end, we have something very sweet. So the resources are on the other side of the scripture. Oh, thank you. Thank you, media team, for putting everything in there. Yes, thank you, media team. (laughs) Okay, so Megan, which pipeline did you pick? And Mm -hmm. yeah, we'll start there.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna talk about prayer, time and prayer. Okay, what often keeps you from doing prayer? Or what is gritty for you? For me, it's having energy in the morning to get up before my kids get up. For you, it's getting up before your class. Um, And an obstacle to this is going to bed in time. My husband works late on campus. I want to stay up to see him. Mm -hmm. Right now we're having issues on our house, so we're living with friends, and they stay up late, and they're really fun. Um, And that's just a temptation is to stay up late. But my time in prayer with the Lord is first thing in the morning. Okay, so where will you do this? So you want a prayer,
0: which is mm-hmm. very general. It's a pipeline, right? But what will, where will you do it and for how long? And we'll answer three, too. How okay. often and with whom? And who will hold you accountable?
1: Yeah, great. that's a lot. I think you can do it. At the kitchen island. Okay. Oh, at least 15 minutes. I journal. Um, Liz was sharing about ways to focus on prayer. That really helps me focus. Um, I... Yeah, I'd about 15 minutes. I won't do that with anyone because I'm talking about my time alone in prayer. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. your closet prayer. And holding me accountable. So my sister and I have been memorizing chunks of the Bible together. Right now, we're not memorizing anything together, but I'm memorizing through some Proverbs from our church's series in the Proverbs. Uh, and so I just asked her if she would still keep me accountable if I could send her those Proverbs later in the day via recording. Awesome. It's good to bring other people in,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Like like that running buddy. Megan was talking about. It's much Mm -hmm. easier to do it with a buddy. Megan, uh, I saw you over there. Uh, What specifically from this session maybe will help you or motivate you to persevere in this spiritual
1: habit? Yeah. One of the gains that Liz talked about was about how when we pray for other people, we have joy as we see God answer those prayers. And one of the particular things that I'm praying for regularly these days, and if you pick this habit, I'd just know a couple of those things that you want to be praying regularly for is wisdom as I interact with my kids and with my husband. Mm. And one of the ways um, that I am blessed that motivates me to keep doing this is that I see how it blesses my family when I start mm. that time in the morning asking for wisdom because it doesn't come from me. I really need God's help. I need the helper running alongside me, running mm. in me, um, helping me. Yeah. Um, so that's something that keeps me motivated. Um, and as I do it, it keeps me coming back because of the analogy of like the water. You know, when you're thirsty and you take a drink and then you want more. You know,
0: mm. um, so
1: that's something that keeps me motivated. And awesome. Are there other
0: gains that you'll make by doing this? You think?
1: Yeah, I think a major gain, which we hit on in the talk, is time with God. Mm. I missed this time last week. I don't know <laughs> what happened, but I snoozed my alarm and I woke up at 7:15, which is past. My kids are up. They're waking me up. I'm like. Oh, I missed that time. And around lunchtime, I was like, why am I so grumpy? I'm so grumpy. And I said to my daughter, just stop talking to me. Can, I need help. Can you just not talk for lunch, please? I need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stood at the sink to do the dishes, and I was like, I know why I'm grumpy. Because I didn't orient my heart towards serving my family that day, first thing in the morning. I woke up frustrated that my kids were up, and I didn't get that time by myself. Um, so that's one gain, is orienting my heart to be with the Lord throughout the day and seeing his help and seeing my role as serving him or serving him and serving my family. uh, That's a major gain. Amen.
0: And maybe we already answered this, but we'll hit it again. Number six, what what other habits will you have to put off in order to make time for this, right? Sometimes the
1: scriptures talk about putting off something to put on. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the first one I mentioned, staying up late with my fun friends. And oh, that's to see harsh. my husband after work. Um, but another big one is when I actually get up in the morning, I have all these things sitting in front of me, and I'm a doer. And we're living with friends, and I see, like, one of my responsibilities is, like, unloading the dishwasher in the morning. So I get up at 6, and I'm like, oh, I could unload the dishwasher. I could work on my women's conference talk. I could X, Y, Z. Um, and that's a, a habit of mine to do. And I have to give that up um, in order to have that time with the Lord and say, those things can wait. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. Hopefully this gives you a picture
0: of kind of how to work through these questions. We're gonna give you about 12 minutes and then we're gonna call you back because we have something for you. So take 12 minutes, work on these questions and if you need help, just ask the person next to you or you can raise your hand and Megan and I will help you. So
1: go at it. Uh, thanks for taking some time to work on that practical plan. Uh, we want to see you continue to take steps toward building these spiritual habits. Um, so you can see in the back, maybe, maybe if you can't see in the back, there's in the a middle, table. there's a table with some gifts and there's a sign-up sheet. Please sign up uh, if, with your name and email, if you're willing, so that we can reach out to you in a month or two to check up. We will not shame you if things are not going according to your plan. But rather, we wanna help keep these disciplines on your mind, and we wanna be able to provide more ideas, resources, encouragement to you. And if you're one of the first 40, and there are only a few more than 40 of you, um, you can take a gift. Uh, It's just a small gift from us to you, to thank you for spending your time with us. And I'll give you a little preview of what's in there. One is a plant uh, that illustrates the flourishing life. One is chocolate, because chocolate's delightful like God. And <laughs> it's true. the third is a mystery item, so you'll have to sign up. that only you will know, because Just you came to this workshop, why we gave you that. Yes, it's a mystery item, illustration. Illustration. The plant is also a succulent. I
0: love succulents. Good job, Megan. Was Liz's idea. No, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> she put them together. Anyways, all credit to her, but we're both back and forth. Okay. Um, you have one last point on your paper, uh, the cost of grace. Sisters... Um, I want to leave you with this. When it feels costly to do this habit or try to receive this pipeline, whether it's relationally, emotionally, physically, financially, remember the cost of what Jesus paid. Jesus didn't have his voice, so you would always have access to his word. Jesus was ignored so that your prayers would always be heard. Jesus was cast out of community, so that you would have an eternal community. Go and enjoy these pipelines, knowing that Jesus thinks you are so worth it to have these graces. He gave up his rights, his privileges, and his very life so that you could be showered in his grace. So let me pray for us, and then, like Megan said, as long as you sign up, you can take a back. but if you don't sign up, we ask you just to not, okay? So, um, Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can gather and that you give us grace upon grace. Thank you for your pipelines, um, Lord, that enable us to know you more, that we have your ear, we have your voice, and we have your people. Thank you for these things. Help us to draw near to them, Lord. Give us wisdom on when and how to pursue them and make them practical, Lord. I pray as we do that, um, that it becomes more of just a joy and that we bring others into that joy. Um, And bless our food today as we go to lunch after this. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.